House flipping, house flipping, house flipping HQ. House flipping, house flipping, house flipping HQ. Episode 21. This is the House Flipping HQ podcast. Giving you the strategies, techniques, and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping HQ. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Now let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Hey, hey, what's going on, my fellow and future house flippers? Or should I say creators of house flipping machines? That's right. Businesses that will help you create that financial freedom that we all desire. That's what we are all about here at House Flipping HQ. Thanks for joining in. I hope you guys are loving my singing performances. You know, I I put that jingle together just for you all, and I really put a lot of heart into it. So I hope you liked it. I hope everyone's having a fantastic week and a fantastic 2014 so far. We are at mid-January. I hope everyone is achieving their goals. Many of you know that we have a goal of purchasing 150 houses this year, which will be a personal best. I should say putting 150 houses under contract. And so far, so good. Uh, I was a little concerned after week one. We were off to a slow start with the holiday and whatnot. But we are picking up pace, and I spoke to Vanessa today, and as of now, we have six properties under contract. Uh, we've closed on four, but some of those were, those are mainly for ones we put under contract in the last year. So six properties under contract. Looks like one of them may not pan out, so we could say five. And we have yet to even implement our main marketing campaign this year, which we plan on buying at least half or more of our properties with. So pretty pumped about that. I will keep you posted. A couple of those are from my main agent. And then one is from one of the, a new agent that we started to work with. And two are from one of my favorite wholesalers. And shoot, I don't know where the other one's from. I'll have to check with Vanessa. So But anyway, every once in a while, I just want to kind of keep you guys up to date with what we have going on. It kind of holds me accountable, and I think it's cool for you to kind of hear what's going on with with us personally. For anyone who has missed the announcement, this next Thursday, January the 23rd, I will be hosting a live webinar teaching you how we are currently running our house flipping business and give you some tips and tricks on what you can do in your business. And we will also be unveiling the details for the Mastermind program, which we are putting together. A lot of you have been asking for some additional coaching and collaboration, and you want a team, you want a group, someone you can take deals to, and just kind of have that that feedback and that accountability. So we're gonna be putting something together that I think you're all going to love. You can go to housewingHQ.com slash mastermind, put in your name and email address, and we will send you the most up-to-date info and the links so you can sign up for that webinar. 
Okay, just in case you missed the last episode, this is actually part two of the Sharon Vornhol interview on wholesaling and marketing and all kinds of good stuff. So if you have not listened to episode 20, go back, listen to episode 20, then come back to this one, finish it off. And without any further ado, I give you once again, Sharon Vornhol. So let's get into when you do answer the call. Okay, so you answer the call, someone's calling about a property. Let's do a little, not necessarily role play, but walk us through how that call typically goes. I mean, what I've found with sales or anything, there's pretty much like five scenarios, you know, they're all, and it's pretty Mm -hmm. much the same thing again and again. So you take that call, somebody got one of your letters, whether it's the probate letter or absentee letter. How do you answer that call? What kind of information do you get from that? How does that conversation go? Well, I have a form that I've used for years, but you don't want to ever seem like you're working from a form. But that, the, the form that I have is designed so that I don't forget to get information that I need. I'll, you know, and after I've been doing this so long like you that I really don't need to use it anymore. But yeah. um, it gives me a place to also have my information in one spot. So what I usually do is uh, verify the person's name and their phone number in case we get disconnected or something like that. Okay. Then I will um, start out and just say, tell me about the house. So they'll say, well, I have a three-bedroom brick ranch with a full basement. Those are all questions on my sheet, but I'll let them tell me everything like they, poss- they possibly tell, can. Tell me about the house. You let them just start to talk rather than mm-hmm. you just I ask let, them. Right. I let them talk, which I think puts them, uh, kind of relaxes them and yeah. gets them in the flow. Um, I will ask them about the major systems. Uh, Tell me about the roof, the furnace, uh, if the house has central air, and do you know the ages of those systems? Sometimes they know, and sometimes they say, oh, they're all great. You know, and then once they're finished talking, I go back and I start filling in the blanks on my sheet. And I try to see if they know if the furnace and uh, those sorts of things, if they know the ages. And I just have learned that if you say, you know, ask them about the condition of the kitchen, they're going to go, it's fine, you know, but that might mean mom lived in it and it's been the same for 40 (laughs) years. So now I say, have the kitchens or baths been updated in the past seven or eight years? And I I don't really care if it's really seven or eight years. I want to know if it's been recent or if it's even been 15 years, you know, it's going to be outdated. So I try to go about asking them the questions. Um, like I'll ask them about the panel box, knowing they don't really know what I want to know. But I'll, I might, I'll say, has it been updated? Do you know if it has breakers? It, it gives me a starting point for gathering information. I love those specific questions because, yeah, the exact same thing happens with everybody I know. You, how, What's the condition of your house? Oh, it's great, right? Right. <laughs> The yeah. pink, the light pink tile mm-hmm. in the bathroom is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly right. And so uh, that is the reason, too, that I have that sheet. It allows me as I'm kind of writing and I'll, I'll make notes on there to go back and ask them. And you really you don't want the people to feel like you're using a form. So you never want to really use the form. But you want that as a reference for making sure you get all the information because before I had a really a form to look at, I can't tell you how many times I would get off the phone and go, oh, for Pete's sakes, I forgot to ask this. Yes. And then you have to call them back, you know, and you really don't want to do that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you go through this list. 
which gives you an idea of the property, what kind of house it is, what kind of repairs it's going to need. And then what do you do from there? What I usually do is um, if I know it sounds like a killer deal, you know, somebody, they, I know the area and they tell me what they believe to be true. And they're, they're telling me, well, we'll take half price or, you know, what is essentially half price. Then I'm probably going to go ahead and schedule an appointment. But I often go ahead right at the time I'm talking to them and I pull up the tax assessor site and I can look and see a picture. I can see when it sold last, what it sold for. Um, you can just get a lot of information off of the t- my tax assessor site. I can see a picture of the house. So um, Now, now in your questions to them, is one of the questions, what would you sell your property for? Uh-huh. And I try to say, I try to find out what their motivation is. Okay. Why because are you looking? I'll, why do you want to sell your house? Sell. And it's always money, but there's always something else. Yes. You know, with a probate, they might, you might seal the deal by just saying, I'll, I'll clean out, finish cleaning out your house. Um, I once gave somebody moving money. Nice. You know, uh, I figured that in my price. Yeah. But there's always something else. And so I usually say, what do you have to have out of the house? What? Yeah. So that I at least have a reference or a framework for where they're starting. Then I know where I have to start negotiating downward from. Okay. So you get all, but you get all, you tell them, they tell you about the house first. And Mm -hmm. then at the end, you ask them, what are you looking to get? And during this time, Mm -hmm. you're looking up, you know, the, uh, the tax records and trying to get an Mm -hmm. idea for what you think the property is worth. And based on if, I mean, if you think they're just ridiculous, if they're, if you know a house is probably worth somewhere between, you know, a, a hundred and 150,000 and they're asking for like 200, you know that, mm-hmm. okay, this is a, I'm not going to go meet with this person, right? No, that's right. And I got one of those calls today. Now it wasn't exactly like that, but the fellow, he's telling me the house has never been updated. It's in what I would call a, a standard working class neighborhood. And he said, I want uh, 60, we want $62,000 out of it. You know, we've got some bills we want to pay. And I can just see all the heirs got around and said, well, I, we each have $20,000 worth of debt. So we'll say 62000 Yeah. So I pulled it up on the tax assessor site. Well, it's only worth sixty, yeah. And they've just told me nothing's been updated forever. So I did the same thing with him. I, I just told him I couldn't pay him that much for the house. And I explained why. And he said, well, we've decided, I think we're going to list it. And I said, fine. And that's when I said, you know, I hope you sell it and I wish you luck. But is it okay if I keep you on my list? If for any reason it doesn't sell, maybe you can call me back and we can come to an agreement. And he said, sure. Yeah. And there's no way he's going to sell it for that price, especially after he, you know, because there's not repairs. So people are going to want a discount, not to mention realtor commissions and all these other fees Mm -hmm. he's going to realize that he has to pay. And his bottom line is going to be totally wiped out. So Right. And, and, you know, I tell people this too, always leave the door open. When you leave, you might just, things haven't worked out the way you want. Sometimes when you look at a property, you just can't reach an agreement. But I always think you should wish them well and leave on good terms and leave the door open so you can come back in at a later date. I like to put it out there too. People are sometimes embarrassed to call you back if they have turned down your offer and they'll even call another investor because they don't want to face you because you were right. Yeah. So I always tell people, you know, you can't predict what's going to happen. So if it doesn't sell, call me back. I'm fine with that. I like that. And, you know, treat them like 
people, you know, it's, we're all, right. it's a people business. Sometimes we get all like huffy and puffy in business, but it's at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we're all people working together and, you know, they're going through yeah. a hard time or whatever, trying to sell their house, just be real. So mm-hmm. I like exactly. that. Um, okay. So let's say that you do set that appointment. Mm-hmm. How do you go about that? Or do you say, Hey, okay, so let's meet up. You go to their house. Do you ask them what time will work for them? How, how do you go about that? transition. Yeah, I just set a time that's convenient for them. And since um, I am a woman who's going to be going alone, which I don't have a problem with, but I'm not going to go at night or I'm okay. not going to go into questionable areas. Yes. You know, I'm, I always have safety on my mind, but I have to say, I never really have felt unsafe, which may or may not be a good thing. <laughs> but I make the appointment. I go look at the house. Um, I try to set their the first time I try to set a person's expectations is on the phone where we have the conversation about the condition of the property and what the tax assessor says it would be worth completely fixed up. I try to plant that seed in their mind okay, so that when I go out there, I don't have a person who's thinking, gee, they're going to give me 62000 for my $60,000 house that's never been updated. Yeah. If we get to that point, I want them to have... Um, an overnight to think about what would I really take for this property or what do I really want? And maybe what I want is just to be done with this for sure. probate property. So then I go out there and I, I try, it's a tricky dance. You have to be real about the property. And I believe you have to say to them, you know, you've got a lot of work that needs to be done, but at the same time, you don't want to make them feel bad. Yeah. So It's a skill you learn after a while. But what I like to do, and I know there are people that do this both ways. I like to tell that person, let me go back to the office, figure the repairs. I don't want to just throw you out a magic number. I want to give you a real number and I need to do some work here and figure this out. How about if I call you tomorrow? And they're always okay with that. I, I don't feel the need to have to get their signature on a contract because some investor might come in behind me because my offer is what my offer is going to be. It's, okay. it's a numbers game yeah. and it's all, it's a math problem. I tell people. Okay. And that's good for people to know. Cause some people, you know, it might be hard for them to nail down a price right then and there. So it's good for people on the call who might be new at this to know, Hey, you can get the information and then you can set that appointment and then go to the appointment and then you can go back and Figure it out. Do some research if you need to ask, you know, throw a question up on my site or share in the site and ask, hey, uh, how much do you think I should offer? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to say that I haven't made offers. I have gone out on houses that were um, I knew were just smoking hot deals. And um, I had really done research before. And when I got out there and they'd actually told the truth about the condition of the property. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I have written contracts on the site. but Awesome. Um, my, I probably don't do that more often than not. And I think for the most part, people appreciate the fact that you're a business person and you're going to treat this like a business transaction and just not throw out, a, a, just throw out a price out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think you kind of, you've kind of mentioned this, but you kind of fill them out. You know, if they're like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's, I told you what I want. You're good with what they want. The repairs mm-hmm. don't exceed that. Then, right. Hey, okay, let's, okay, we can put this together, you know? So, but, but if they're reluctant and hesitant and uh, unsure of some things, then you can go do your research and uh, then figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, okay. What have, what have we missed here? So you go to the house, you follow up with them. Let's say that you come to an agreement mm-hmm. on the price of the house. What do you do from there? 
What I typically do, just about everyone has email today. So I typically email the contract and get it right back. Then I just start marketing the house. Once I have that signed contract back, I have probably already decided or, you know, who I'm going to market the, the deal to. Okay. I'm sure you, you mentioned having wholesalers that yeah. sell you houses. Yes. I've got my favorite got people few, yeah. on my list for sure that they're going to go look at it quick. They're going to make a decision quick. And I know their funding is in place. Whether you know it's, they'll perform. Uh, yes. Right. And I, so know, and I know if they can call me on the phone and say, sure, I'll buy it. I'm at the ball game. Send me a contract tomorrow. I know with 100% yep. certainty that they're going to sign the contract and send it back. And yeah. uh, usually uh, with probates, I tend to send the contract on over to the closing attorney. Here we use attorneys. I okay. know you some places use title companies, but yeah, um, well, I actually like to hear that. I, I like to because there's I have a lot of listeners throughout the country and the world, and it's good to hear how different people do that transaction. So you send it over to the closing attorney. If it's a probate, I send over, I do all my closings. I try to do them all through this one attorney because I, he has a great office. Uh, they have multiple attorneys in there, but all they do is real estate closings. And he's also an investor. So I do a lot of double closings, which is another whole topic, but he's familiar with that and it's never an issue. So, um, yeah. If it's a if it's a probate and I know that, you know, stuff comes up in probates all the time. There's a lien from twenty five years ago or whatever. So I like to go ahead and know if there's things on the title that have to be cleared up. Um a- additional paperwork or forms that might have to be filed with the court. Whereas if I wait even a week or two, that puts me a little bit further down down the road because my best case scenario is I find a house that and I know exactly which one of a couple of people is going to want the house. They go look at it tomorrow. We have a signed contract and I close in 10 days or less. So that's generally the way it goes. Now, every now and then I get a house that for whatever reason, usually around Christmas, actually. (laughs) In Kentucky, it gets colder and you can't bust these investors out of their chairs to even go look at a house sometimes. (laughs) It's strange. Or they'll say, I'm in Florida, sorry. Yeah. But uh, if it happens to be around a little bit longer, then I might have to actually do some marketing. I'd probably send it out to my uh, my list, which would be my RIA group, would be my next group I would go to, the big RIA group. Okay. But, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back a little bit. So you email the contract to the seller. Mm-hmm. What does this contract consist of? Is this like your standard uh, realtor form or is this a probably not, I assume, with you? No. It's like a one pager or kind of what does it say mm-hmm. in this contract? It's a one-page contract, and I think yeah, my closing attorney uh, gave it to me, and half of the investors in my city use it, or, or probably two-thirds use it. It's very simple. It just says, you know, I'm going to buy your house for this much, and you have to give me a, you know, a, mar- a marketable, clean title, and then there's your spots down there, you know, where you put in uh, anything extra, like um, I always put in there, I'm buying the house as is. Uh, if I'm agreeing to clean out the house, I put that, you know, any of the specifics in there. And then it's just basically a signature. It's really a simple contract without a lot of legal jargon, which I think if you're not a real estate agent, that's really what you should be using anyway, because people get scared off by those long six, eight page contracts. For that sure. Our board of realtors has them here, and I understand why they require the real estate agents to use them. But that is all about realtor protection. Yeah. Company no, I, protection. I agree. Keep it simple. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I use a one simple one page contract that anybody of pretty much any level of education can read and understand. Okay, great. So then, you know, you're, you already have a pretty good idea if that contract's coming over. So whether you have a verbal or you got the contract, then you're just getting on the phone calling your top, um, you know, two to three buyers mm-hmm. and just seeing who commits to the deal, basically. Right, right. And sometimes I'll know that a buyer specializes in a, in a particular area. And that person, if they've bought multiple houses, and I know that's their preferred area, I'll just call them and give them the lockbox combination. That's another point I'd like to make. All the houses that I deal in are probates and absentee owners primarily. So they're all uh, non-occupied homes. I always get permission to put a lockbox on the house. Great. Now, I only give that combination to people I know. Anybody else that might come to look at the house, I meet them at the house because I don't want them to go back later and remove the copper plumbing or. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Okay. So with your buyers, do you have, okay. So your name was on the contract with the seller, right? Well, yeah, my name in, let's say uh, the house is 1020 main street. It says 1020 main street land trust S trustee. Okay. So that's the buyer is the, the is land trust. Got trust. it. And you're the trustee. trustee. So you can uh-huh. easily, um, then, then they become, just explain how that goes. I, I've dealt with this years ago. but <laughs> Well, I, I don't typically assign contracts. And the reason um, I don't do it is I like the cleanness of the double closing. Okay. I don't, I, I don't necessarily, well, I, I definitely don't want my seller knowing that I've have resold the house for additional money. Okay. Unless you can get those funds all to be paid into your closing company, that seller's going to know that you offered them fifty thousand for the house and you've resold it for sixty. Okay. So I just don't I don't want to yeah, I'm all about deal with that. peace of mind. I yeah. don't want to deal with that. So what okay. I do is um, I do a double closing. So on that day of the closing, the people I'm buying the house from will come at let's say 1230. My person that I'm selling it to comes at 12 and I'm going to close these transactions backwards. Okay. So my buyer is going to come in always with certified funds for the B2C closing. Okay. So we know that we've got the money to close the deal. So we're going to sign those papers. He's going to pick up that check and then I'm going to go into the room next to it and close the A to B with the funds from my, my buyer. Okay. Does that make sense? Do you do, you do double Oh, yeah, no, no, it makes sense to me. I, I've done them in, in the past. Um, I'm not currently doing them. So, no, no, it absolutely makes sense. Hopefully, uh, everyone understands that. If you don't, you know, once again, in the show notes, housefippinghq.com slash episode 20. If you have questions about that, just leave them in there. And I'm sure Sharon will be happy to to answer those to, to clarify anything. Right, Sharon? Yes, I would, uh, <laughs> I'll yeah, I'll be here. happy to. It is a uh, a little bit confusing, but it is a way that, um, I mean, you could get transactional funding, you could have funding in place, but it is really a hassle-free way to close property. And I, it costs me generally about $200, $250 more on each transaction than it would have if I had assigned it. For me, it's all about the ease of the transaction. Yeah, for sure. And Something just a side note, a lot of times people hear all these uh, more advanced strategies and how to close a deal. I always tell people, Sharon, and let me know your thoughts on this, but I always say, look, don't get your head all like confused about the double closing. Go find houses first. 
Mm-hmm. And once you f- get those houses under contract, then you can, it's like a sprint to figure out what to do, you know, maybe give yourself an extra week to get it closed. So you have a couple days to figure that out. And then you can come to people like myself and Sharon and, or you can figure out, okay, how do I need to get this closed? And there's several ways you can wholesale a property. Um, right. Even if it does cost you a little bit more the first time. I would agree with that. I, I tell I people, don't get caught up in the details. You. Your job sure. is to find houses uh, to buy and buyers. So what you need is your team. And you need on my team is my closing attorney. And he told me early on, don't worry about the details. Here's what you do. Just bring me the contracts. You just come. Don't bring any money. And I'll take care of the rest. So um, you don't, you really don't have to worry about that. And people get caught up in the probate process. And I tell them, you don't have to worry about that. Write the contract and then give it over to your closing company. Uh, my closing attorney is going to let me know if there's anything that we have to do. Now, one thing I do do with probates is I always write extra time in those contracts. And I've never had a single person that's objected. I write, actually write 60 days in the contract. Oh, wow. Now, here's what I say to them. My goal is to get this closed, hopefully in a couple of weeks. And that's what I usually can do. But sometimes with probate, once they do the the title search, you start to find out all the work that you thought was done by the probate attorney or whoever is not all done. Uh, Okay. So rather than to go back and rewrite the contract or get extensions on the contract, I don't like to do that. There's just too many things that can happen. So I'll say I'm going to write 60 days in here just in case your uh, estate needs some uh, something done that we can't foresee. And they'll go, okay. And then I, it rarely happens, but sometimes it does happen. You need extra weeks. I once had one that took five months. Wow. And I had to go back every 30 days and write a new contract. And every time you do that, you run the risk of them having somebody, uh, you know, that said, when your contract expires, I'll offer you $3,000 more or whatever. Now, another way you can do it is you can say, I'll close 30 days from the date that we have approval from the court and or attorneys. I like that. That way, it's okay. kind of open-ended. You can do that. And it's kind of like in their court. It's like, hey, It's you in know, their court. I, yeah, it's not I want to close. Are you ready to close? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, okay, so let's talk about these buyers. I have so many people that want to know where to get the buyers from. Where do you find your best buyers? My best buyers, I have all found them in my RIA group. And I know that seems really basic, but they're people that are in my city. They're either in my group or they're active real estate investors that you know about. But by and large, they're in my RIA group. And that takes a little bit of time to, you have to become um you have to get involved and you'll you'll find out pretty quickly there's a lot of tire kickers in there. Yeah. But then you have you ferret out the people that are actually really buying houses and yep. then you start to build your list out from there because people think you need a million buyers. You don't. You only need about three to five tops. Yeah. Or if it's actually, me, you only need one. If one. You're in yeah. California. And really, <laughs> I've got uh, just a few, my top three or four, I mean, buy virtually everything that I've yep. got. That's how I am. And, if, if I, if someone brings me a deal that I can profit from mm-hmm. anywhere in Southern California, I'll take it. Yeah, except for, there's a couple exceptions. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Right. Right. But pretty much, yeah, you'll know that you've got a buyer and it helps you when you're buying property too, because if you know that you don't have a single buyer on your uh, list that 
likes this area, maybe you know that they hate this area, then you got to stop and think about whether you want to buy that house or do you want to write extra time or do you, how do you, do you want to structure this a little bit differently? Because you might actually have to go out to Craigslist or other avenues to find um, a buyer for the house. Yeah, for sure. So what, what, what's the name of your RIA, Sharon? Uh, it's CREO. It's the Kentuckiana Real Estate Investors Association. And we have several hundred members. We right. have a very good, very active group. Your RIA is one of those, I assume, that's, you know, you don't get up there and they're having you run to the back of the room and pay $1,000 every week for every nope. course under the sun. It's a little more non or low pitch, right? Yeah, well, we had never actually never had any paid speakers in until a couple of years ago. And then we did start occasionally once, maybe twice a year. Uh, we'll have uh, someone, one of the national people in. But for the most part, it's um, we have some great experienced local people local that people doing yeah, get up there and they put on excellent programs. And uh, most of the speakers that come there, even the guru type, they don't so much pitch their stuff as they offer a, our meeting happens to be on Thursday night. So they'll be maybe pitching a free or almost free seminar on Saturday. And that's where they would do their pitching. Then they do their selling. Okay. But they always provide great content. It's always really cheap. A, a full day. Where can you get a full day of education for $49 or something that includes lunch? Yeah. You know, I've for people who know my background, I've had some bad experience with some of those uh, gurus, gave them a lot of money and not mm -hmm. promises not kept. Um, but I was just thinking the other day, and sometimes you have the extremes. You have the gurus on one end who are like doing everything they can to sell the heck out of everybody. But then on the other end, you have people who will go to these uh, meetings and they're so opposed to any sales or anything and they're missing some of the systems. And it's kind of funny, even though I have this bad feeling in my stomach with some of these guys <laughs> and their <laughs> dishonesty, some of the, like 50%, half of what I do today in my business, why I'm so systematic and have all these systems in place, I've learned from some of these guys because they're really good at systems, you know, so. <laughs> they really are good. And, you know, we have a fellow here who you may or may not be familiar with, Mike Butler, who uh, does a lot of national teaching. But Mike ran, bought his first 100 houses before he had an assistant and he was a full-time police detective. Wow. He is the king of systems. Another yeah. person who um, I took, a, a, I had a lot of her courses was Robin Thompson. I, if I, you're just, read, <laughs> I just had lunch with Robin two days ago. And, uh, oh, yeah. She, she came to our <laughs> RIA recently. Again, I've got, she is a wealth of information. She's what I call a real person that happens to be a guru. But, it, it's uh, just so funny. I was at New Media Expo two days ago and I met this guy and he, I'm, he's like, hey, what are you doing for lunch? And he's like, hey, I'm going to go have lunch with Robin Thompson. I'm like, hey, I've, I've heard of her from like back in the day. <laughs> So we just had lunch and uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. She, she's like, yeah, yeah, we should do some stuff together. So yeah, that's it's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, people know that I'm, be, be wary of some of these guys. Be very careful. Um, anyway, I, I don't mean to get off on a tangent. I just, I think it's interesting though. There are some people that go to the other extreme and, you know, they don't get any kind of coaching or any kind of mentorship at, at all because they're so weary of, you know, what, some of the things that do happen out there. So anyway. Total side note, let's get back on track here. We're actually pretty much done. Um, Sharon, I wow, you've you've given us like a ton of information here. Is there anything we're missing, anything specifically that you are passionate about that you do in your business 
that you think would help people out there uh, that that we've missed? Well, I don't think so. I think the big takeaway from uh, people that do marketing is you can't do a couple of campaigns and then stop. Marketing is a long-term strategy. Direct mail is a long-term strategy. And I just kind of cringe when people say, I have a series of four letters, and then I'm going to go buy a new list. And, you know, I'm going to market to absentee owners for four times. Then I'm going to market to tired landlords for four times. Um, You have to go into this with the idea that you're going to do it over the long term because repetition is the uh, key. You want to be the last guy standing because most people will throw in the towel after somewhere between four and six mailings. Now, I can't remember the exact statistics. I have them on one of the posts on my blog. But uh, one of the national marketing companies found that 85% of your deals, not your calls, but your deals, will come about at your fifth mailing or beyond. Wow. Wow which is huge. So for those of us that do direct mail all the time, we don't care if you quit, but you're doing yourself a disservice because you will certainly get deals in those first mailings up to five, but the bulk of your deals are going to come at the fifth mailing or beyond. And they're going to be saying, gosh, you know, I'm just going to hang in there and do it no matter what. You know, these people see your mailing month after month. If they're probates, uh, they may not be ready to sell. If they're absentee owners, they can go from completely not motivated. Maybe they've got a rental in another state and things are great. And then they get the tenant from hell and they tear up the house and take everything but the kitchen sink. And you just hit them at that moment when they have just had it. And then they're move from being completely unmotivated to motivated. Time and circumstances change all yes. things. Yep, yep. Love it. That's great uh, input, Sharon. You've shared with us a ton of information. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. Where can people follow you? Where can they uh, get in contact with you if uh, they want to follow you? <laughs> uh, well, great. And I hope they do. It's LouisvilleGalsRealEstateBlog.com. Um, I've been blogging for uh, some years now, and I have a just a ton of information over there. And I've got a freebie on the site, too. It's called Probates and Absentee Owners, Your Fast Track to Real Estate Riches, which is a little report that I did up for people to kind of get the feel for how to work within probate. And so they can get that over there. And um, I'm, I have freebies all the time, too. Awesome. Uh, that, you know, if they want any of the resources that we've mentioned here, they can come over to the blog and there's a place where they can contact me and I can uh, be happy to share whatever I've got. Very cool. Yeah. And Sharon does have a ton of great information on our site, which is part of the reason why I had her on. I, you know, she didn't have to call me up or <laughs> I just saw, oh, this person knows what she, Sharon knows what she's doing. So anyway, once again, Sharon, thank you so much. Uh, it was nice meeting you and I look forward to, uh, you know, getting to know you more in the future. Well, thanks for having me, Justin. I had a great time. All right. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks again, Sharon, for everything you shared with us. It's just I'm just blown away at the generosity of so many people out there like Sharon who are willing to just lay it out there and just say it how it is. I know it helps me a ton, and I hope you're getting a lot of it as, out of it as well. To see the show notes or any links we talked about, you can go to housewhippinghq.com slash episode 21. 
You can also leave any comments or questions in the comments section and Sharon and or myself will be happy to respond to those. You can also, many people don't know this, but you can go to my website and you actually leave me a voicemail. So if you want to tell me or Sharon or whoever, you know, how awesome we are or, (laughs) you know, really any feedback that you have, anything you want to say, that would be great. Or if you have any questions, go ahead and throw the questions on there. I would actually love to do a future podcast episode or at least a partial episode answering your questions. So go on over there, leave us a voicemail and we would love to hear from you, love to hear about your progress and and everything. I listen to all of those. So love to get that feedback. Next episode, next week, we will have Marty Boardman. Marty is an investor out of Phoenix, Arizona, who is actually investing in Milwaukee. So he's investing 2,000 miles away. What I love about Marty, I just interviewed him today, actually, so it's fresh on my mind, is the guy, you know, he didn't make up any excuses. He didn't love the margins he was getting, so he figured something out. He hired someone, or I guess he didn't hire him, he just worked with someone who helped him find a market in the nation that where he could get better spreads. And he went out there, set up a business, and you know, is, is killing it. He currently has like 20 some odd properties out there. And you know, people are surprised when they know that I'm buying houses that are a couple hours away and not really seeing most of them. Well, I mean, Marty's 2,000 miles away from these houses. He does go and visit them, but you know, he does not hold back. He shares with us how he's buying these properties, how he manages from afar, uh, the systems he has set up. And it was an incredible interview. So really looking forward to sharing that with you on next week's episode. So be sure to tune in. Once again, don't forget the webinar this Thursday. Go to housewinghq.com slash mastermind to sign up for all the details. I'm really looking forward to hearing from anybody. In fact, if you have any questions ahead of time, you can go ahead and shoot those over to us. You can send them to info at housewhippinghq.com and we will be sure to answer those at the end. You can ask questions on the webinar as well and look forward to seeing you there. So all right, everybody, uh, happy investing. Go make those offers. Go flip some houses. Go put together those systems. Keep it going and we will see you on the flip side. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.